Hello, everyone listening. Thank you so much for joining. Welcome to Creative Empathy, where we are cultivating empathy through sharing creative lifestyles. My name is Jordan, and today we are going to be talking with Victoria Berndt, who is an anime blogger and a film academic. I will let her do the rest of the introduction, but I wanted to say thank you so much for joining us for the first episode of Creative Empathy. I hope that you like it, and I hope that you are passionate about listening to people who are passionate about what they do. So, without further ado, let's get started. Hello, Victoria. Thank you for joining us. Hello. (laughs) So you're here to talk to us about writing, and that's a very broad term, but um, do you want to go a little bit more into it, introducing yourself, what you do, and why? Yeah, my name is Victoria Berndt, and I am a writer primarily uh, with a background more in like academic and professional writing. I run a blog called The Quotorium, Uh, And on there, I kind of write reviews and analyses, like more long form essays and like genre breakdowns and a whole bunch of different stuff. Just as interests keep coming into my life, I write about them and like publish them online. So, yeah, that's um, mostly what I do. I just finished um, an MA in film studies. So I have like a bit of an academic background with writing, um, which informs a lot of how I approach topics in my free time. So, yeah. Hmm. Let's start with a great jumping off point. You you, you mentioned uh, reviews and analyses on your blog, uh, but you also, uh, you uh, when we recorded this, you posted a, an article about Luca um, and you, you called it something that you've called, done, done several times on your blog called Reviewlessis. Do you want to talk about why that tends to happen? Yeah, um, Reviewlessis is a portmanteau of review and analysis because I usually can't choose between the two when I'm writing. When I first got into doing reviewing, um, I was very by the book with it. But like as I continued to explore writing styles and what I actually wanted to see in my reviews, I realized that it was getting a lot more into the realm of analysis. And like that being film analysis or scene analysis, like that, that sort of more deep thinking that's not really in the realm of reviewing and probably belongs more in a term paper but I enjoyed doing it so much and it was like it's something that I think sets my reviews apart and so where it's applicable I'll call it a review assist like the the one on Luca that I just published is very analysis heavy um more so than me saying actual opinions about the film but just because there were so many things that I came across while I was watching it that like inspired me to want to dig deeper into it so a few of the reviews that I do will be you know character story setting here's what happened here's what I thought here was how I found the animation the voice acting the music etc um you know the the generic categories that you tend to work through when you're doing a review but the review list just kind of allows me to engage with stuff like theme and presentation and technique. And that's not really something that always gets brought up in a review in a short form way anyway. So the review list is kind of like my way of combining the two worlds a little bit. Yeah, your your style of writing is very well tailored to uh, this, this you know, as you said, portmanteau of uh, review list. I've always thought that your writing, they always have this this perfect balance between like emotional engagement and academic engagement. Uh, there is always, a, you know, they, they work in conjunction with one another to to analyze and extract information and meaning. And as you said, theme and stuff like that, looking at all of the, the things that make it tick but also from the perspective of someone emotionally engaging with the content almost everything that you review even the stuff that you've not quite enjoyed or had elements in it that you didn't enjoy you're able to look at it with an analytical uh, point of view um, or with an analytical lens but doing so still engaging 
at an emotional level, whether the emotion was good or bad or whatever, you're, you're, you're not trying to judge it at this point. You're trying to extract the content, the raw, un, like, like objective content from it. You're, you're looking for the truth inside of it, which is really cool. Yeah, that's something that I kind of discovered a few years ago um, in doing reviewing and and blogging more generally it's like a piece of media exists in the world whether i think it's good or not and so and that's more of like an ideology almost in a way to approach reviewing and and writing but like because the thing already exists who am i to say it shouldn't exist you yeah. know and so it's more approaching the work on its own terms and that is where a lot of the analysis comes through because then i start to understand the like way of being of why that tv show or that movie is the way it is and what like technically made it able to be what it ended up becoming right yeah like i feel like with um with reviews when i first started in like high school i had this huge like i had an idea that like objectivity was the way to go and uh very quickly i learned that um, it's actually more valuable when you're writing to infuse your work with your own emotions and opinions rather than try to be like mechanical and mm. like methodical about it. And so when, when I do a review of a show that I don't really like or whatever, like I might not like it, but there's a reason why I in particular didn't like it. And then I use that as a springboard to kind of engage the, the piece of media in a deeper way than just saying, I don't like it and calling it a day yeah and having it be that like thumbs up thumbs down type of situation that that has been popular and it's popular for a good reason like a lot of people like to know before they go to see a movie if it's worth it or not right because yeah. movies are getting more expensive these days but it's um i i think like for for like satisfying at least myself when i'm writing <laughs> i want to <laughs> be able to make sure that um i'm being fair and giving the thing that I'm writing about the time of day. Yeah, and you're you're approaching it uh, from a very personal point of view. You're watching experience, but you have the benefit of this film studies background and this passion for studying and analyzing film. So you're able to look at it at a deeper level as well, which I think is what makes your reviews and your writing particularly valuable. Thank you. <laughs> so... Um, what else have you written, like, aside from your blog stuff? Aside from blog stuff. Okay. Um, so I've done a whole bunch of different writing in various levels of being professional or not. Um, I worked at the student newspaper at my undergrad university. And so I wrote articles for the arts and life section. And I went around and, like, interviewed people in the community and stuff. And uh, I, I've also um, written for websites like professionally i was employed to write like seo articles and stuff mm -hmm. um so search engine optimization where you like use keywords to rank high on google results and stuff like that and then i guess the the hugest part is um academic writing for me that has taken up like a ton of my life <laughs> <laughs> um because i remember yeah so i've written you know outside of you know just papers for class i've written some articles for scholarly journals. In my undergrad, I had the opportunity to contribute to a review of All That Heaven Allows, which uh, was coming out for a Criterion Blu-ray release. And so I was able to like, contribute to my school. Uh, a few people in, in my uh, program, we kind of had a combination of opinions on the, on the film, and I was part of that. And then that got published, yeah. Yes, yeah, it got published. I, I've got the the copy with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in my MA, I was able to be published in Synoptique, which is a graduate film journal. Um, and I I covered an animation festival that was happening in Montreal. Mm -hmm. And then um, re more recently, the first chapter of my thesis is going to be published next year in Macademia, which is a scholarly journal focused on Japanese media mostly right. um, and animation studies. So, yeah. Yeah. And that was your, uh, your, your master's thesis. Yes. That you just completed. Yes. 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 You it were took, telling me. It took a year and a bit to complete, but it's finally done and I'm very happy with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can imagine. 
So uh, which of those uh, did you enjoy the most? I think I enjoyed my thesis the most because it was on a topic that I had kind of picked myself yeah. for the other two topics. It was like, this is something that is being given to you to write about and make something of that. And for my thesis, it was more like I am kind of like curating my own knowledge space and yeah. I'm making content that is like specifically in my wheelhouse like because that's like fan studies and animation studies are kind of like where I'm the most um, knowledgeable and so doing that whole process first of all it was amazing that I was able to get in because the deadline for that article was like it was like within a day of me finishing the the whole thesis mm. and um I was able to get in and I was accepted and they liked my article. It barely went through any edits, which was amazing. But I basically had to like abridge the uh, the whole first chapter into something that was within the, the word count that they were looking for. Mm. Um, and that process was really fun because it allowed me to kind of look back on what I'd just written and really just get the pieces out that I needed to have in the final version yeah a second stab at like like uh simplifying your ideas yeah yeah it was it was really fun and i i enjoy that revision process like that's one of my joys in life is editing yeah and so yeah being a part of that for a long-term project like a scholarly journal is really fun because i would get feedback from people who are much higher up than mm -hmm. me on stuff that i had worked on which was really cool that is really cool <laughs> yeah so what was the process like uh, developing the idea? For my thesis? Yeah. It kind of fell together a bit haphazardly. When you write a thesis, you have to write a proposal first mm -hmm. and submit it to your department so that they know that you're not taking on anything that's too crazy or uh, too small. Yeah. Um, because with a thesis, you have to make sure you've got the right amount of detail in there for it to be as long as it is, but you also can't go over and, and take on too much and get overwhelmed. So in the first year of my master's, I uh, did the thesis proposal um, over the course of a few months. And uh, the original idea for it was actually going to be on um, anime abridged series. That mm. was the, the, the very start. So I, I really wanted to talk about stuff like 50% off and Berserk abridged and abridge on Titan. And I'm actually going to format this original thesis idea into a blog post later uh, because i really want to talk about it and people need to know about these bridge <laughs> series but like um the original version of the thesis uh proposal was a bridge series and then it kind of morphed into fans talking about anime fandom which uh then turned into the, the final product which was like a, a meta textual um, approach to anime fandom through uh, TV shows that kind of use anime fandom as a main part of how the plot works in the first place. And right. so the two examples that I ended up landing on were um, Anime Crimes Division and Neo Yokio, which are two very different shows stylistically, tonally, but they kind of hit on the same uh, feelings about anime fans within their own worlds. And I think Anime Crimes Division was the, the one that got added that made me shift. I think Neo Yokio I had watched first. Um, and But it was so long ago that I can't really remember because as soon as I put these two pieces together, I just kind of went with it. A Anime Crimes Division makes a ton of sense mm -hmm. for that topic. And Neo Yokio doesn't at the surface level. But then when you start looking at it, it really does. It, it makes sense as like a meta fan, like anime fandom space narrative um and so it was really hard for me to just like get that topic pinpointed because neo yokio especially kept escaping me <laughs> as i was trying to work on uh, analyzing it in like an academic setting so yeah that's kind of how it started yeah you were mentioning a bridged series um uh why was that such a such an important impetus for this for this project like what 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 was the key like thread that made them similar topics to talk about it was how fans interacted with 
specifically fans outside of the Japanese audience right. interacting with anime and kind of making their own narrative about the anime. Um, and I, I had uh, done research project proposals when I was applying for master's programs that were based on this idea of, you know, how North American, specifically North American, because that's the context I come from, but how anime fans engage with and create their own versions of anime right? Um, based on their own cultural contexts and their like upbringing, like what anime was popular for them at the time and what that meant as they were growing into anime as they got older, what kind of technology or media-based stuff they were exposed to when they were little. So like VCRs or LimeWire or, you know, older ways of torrenting um, that were more popular when like when I was a kid and earlier, you know. So um, that kind of like history and development of anime fandom was very appealing to me mm. and so this was something that i carried through like basically every single time i've tried to work on a research project since my undergrad ended was me trying to go into that like north american anime fandom space and that can manifest in many different ways right there can be um, abridged series is one conventions are also something that i've been thinking about researching a little bit more mm. um and yeah can you explain what a what an abridged series is just yes in case <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so an abridged series is basically where you take a, i mean this it's specific to anime really i don't see abridged series happening in other um types of media but um anime abridged series are basically when you take an anime and you rework it so that it creates a shortened version of the narrative that the original story told. And in a lot of cases, you can go off the rails and make the characters have traits or exaggerated traits that they didn't necessarily have in the original show. Um, and this is entirely just through or mainly through re-recording dialogue. That's yes, my understanding. Yeah, a lot of lip flap re-recordings and, uh, you know, putting in... Uh, like extending a scene by making it a still frame, you know, like it, it's basically a reanimation of the anime material. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really fun. And it usually in, involves a lot of uh, pop culture jokes of the time, which is makes it fun to look back as like an archivist yeah. like in an archival way, because um, these abridged series are like preserving the humor that was funny at the time of their release. Mm. And so you can really get like thrown back a few years <laughs> when you're li when you're watching them. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's basically uh, what an abridged series is. It it pokes fun at the original show while adding to it in like a tongue in cheek way. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're writing for your blog, um, mm -hmm. as you said, you're you're developing an article for a, a for a bridge series mm -hmm. or on a bridge series for your blog. Um, what's the process of uh, developing those ideas and starting to write it depends on what kind of an article i'm writing um do you know what kind of article you're writing well you i mean in terms of like the style yes okay. like if i'm writing a review i know i'm writing a review okay um and with reviews it tends to be like i take notes while mm. i'm watching the thing and i usually just take the notes directly on the draft that i'm working on okay and then as i continue to kind of like like see more of how the show plays out and as i get closer to the end of the show i'll, I'll start to like arrange my overall thoughts into subcategories and then i can make the the sections based on that based mm. on what was brought up in my viewing of it for essays and like long form analysis posts it's a little different because i i approach it more like a paper um, like I've got a thesis statement and then I've got my proof and then I have to go and collect evidence like screenshots and, uh, dialogue and stuff like that. And, um, they come together a lot more slowly just because it's right. a longer post. They can get upwards of, I think the longest I've ever made it is almost 4,000 words, which is about 10 to 15 pages of content. So yeah, it's the, the way that the, um, the essay posts tend to go is I will like have 
a bunch of different categories. Usually I try to, I'm a huge structure person. Mm. So <laughs> um, that's the hardest part for me to get down at first is finding a good way to flow from idea to idea. And then once I have kind of a chronology set up, a way of accessing each point that I want to talk to uh, or talk about and have it in a way that doesn't seem too jarring and flows kind of naturally, then I can get started on like assembling the photos and um, the the captions and giving the uh, sections more creative titles. Um, so yeah, a lot of the time when I'm writing, I just kind of like have thoughts and I just type them out like verbatim, like as I'm saying them. And then I kind of edit those to make them more into <laughs> like mm. sentences and not just like me thinking out loud type of, of situations. But yeah. Yeah. Do you ever get the titles for like the subsections uh, while you're like taking the notes? Like, oh, yeah. Like you, you write down something and go, oh, shoot, that's good. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, and sometimes the subsection titles will even just be like things that I say out loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's something that like I feel strongly about, I, I feel fine with having it be a little bit witty or punny. Mm. And I see no problem in that because I, I don't think that just because something is an analysis, it needs to be boring. <laughs> mm. So would you say that your analyses are the academic side of you coming out in your blog? Yeah, for sure. A huge part of my writing is influenced by how I think academically. And that might not necessarily show itself because I don't like, you know, use theoretical sources in, you know, all of my posts. Like that's not <laughs> something that I try to do. Sometimes theory does come out when it's relevant. I've quoted Judith Butler a few times. I've quoted Thomas Lamar a few times. But these are not necessarily things that I aim to do when mm. I'm writing. I want my mindset more to be uh what's visible academically speaking I, I want people to be able to um read and feel like they're learning and in, in a deeper way than just like looking at a wikipedia article about the facts of a show right yeah and it really feels like it when you read it that you write with the heart of an academic in that what drives someone to go to an academic institute or go into academics and learn not just because they want a job but because they love the subject matter they they desire to invest in it and discover things about it and do research it really sounds like and looks like you write with that heart of an academic and in doing so you have that professional kind of like standard and, and, and almost moral standard academic mor morality in your writing um, but you don't get bogged down by the the needs that academic that that academia puts on people who are writing research papers, which are um, proving things through theory all the time. Theory exists, and you'll use it where it's relevant. But you don't let it slow you down from sharing your ideas because you feel like the the content itself kind of explains the the elements that you need you need it to. Yeah, I mean, it, it's true. Like, there is that kind of, like, academic moralism, I think, that I, I wrestle with that a lot when I'm writing. Yeah. Um, Like, I, I really want to write about media in a way that makes it meaningful. And that's, that's more of an academic thing, because in, like, in my circles, people are always finding obscure media and making research papers about them and then it becomes important and then people start citing it all over the place and then it becomes a part of curriculums you know like this discovering and recycling of older or even newer you know things that just kind of flew under the radar the first time around um, that's one of the joys of academics is finding something that no one has treasured and treasuring it in a way that makes it valuable to mm. other people and when I do that with when I did that with Neo Yokio in particular, that was really fun for me because Neo Yokio isn't necessarily regarded as a highbrow artsy kind of show, but here I am writing a thesis paper about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's uh, it, and so it's kind of like my child in a way. Like I I have cared for it and <laughs> mm. and I've I've given it attention and um, through writing about it, I was able to kind of understand more about why it is the way it is even mm. though it's so obscure sometimes that it's hard to understand. Yeah. 
and that goes for um, like not necessarily the you know making it valuable for other people because you know you've just you kind of just described currency for a second then you know like like you know the only reason something becomes valuable is because everyone agrees that it has value um, but it takes someone to show the value and explain why they think it's valuable um, at some point it does come down to people sharing their opinions on something Mm -hmm. and things become valuable when other people agree with that. There is not necessarily an objective truth to all of these things that you explore, um, but yet you're still able to approach the content on its own terms, which is really cool. Yeah. The thing you mentioned about currency is also a more important topic now, especially in anime fandom than it's been before, just because like anime fan like entertainment news sources have mm. become such a huge way for how people know what to watch this season right um, and so coverage on particular shows makes them popular and um specifically a lot of uh shonen anime have become very popular through people covering them on youtube or for like journals online and getting like sponsorship deals to talk about like crunchyroll specifically i think of with this but there's a whole like circulation industry going on right there there's a whole way of disseminating information that happens with anime fandom now that didn't used to be the case and so having an opinion about something that is neglected mayhaps is is not necessarily um it doesn't mean that no one's paying attention to it but it means that the media spotlight isn't on it because anime fandom has splintered in so many different directions that mm. it's it's not the case anymore where you can just say oh watch death note and full metal alchemist and cowboy bebop and that's your ticket in and now you're <laughs> good to go and talk to people about anime now you can be in one genre of anime fandom and not touch anything else at all and still have a perfectly functioning and vast network of people to talk to about it so a a huge inspiration for me on this is actually um arcada glass reflection slash arcada who is a, a anime youtube reviewer um and he he put out a video a few months ago on uh what qualifies as a hidden gem now that we're kind of entering this phase in anime circulation where things just come and go so quickly and even if something hit a certain level of popularity and then it's forgotten does that mean that it's a hidden gem right because of this quick cycle that we're in now so that that's a whole bunch of industry talk but (laughs) it definitely (laughs) applies to how i how i think of shows when i review them because a lot of shows that I pick up are shows that I heard about when they were popular and now no one talks about them anymore. Mm. And so it, it's a way for me to like reflect on that cycle in a way. Right. And that's kind of that you, I was, I was going to ask, like, does this, this change, this shift in, in the industry, as you were saying, uh, affect how you write stuff or like what you write about? How does it do that? It, it doesn't really. Because I'm a very stubborn person. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't want to be writing about what's popular. um, And that might sound terribly hipster of me. But it's just, uh, if I'm not watching it and I'm not interested in watching it right now, then I'm not going to write about it, you know? Mm. Like, if if I want to write about it, it might be a few years from the time when it's aired. And that happens with a lot of shows that I watch, like... um, and even right now, like I'm watching Jujutsu Kaisen and that aired earlier in the year, but already, you know, the season's over and people are kind of forgetting about it. So yeah, I, I kind of work at my own pace with that because I want to have time to form opinions and, and pursue analysis with a subject. Like mm. a lot of times analysis posts, like the, the really long essays, they take like a few months to think about. And then a few more months to research and then a few more months to write. So it Mm. can be a long time coming to just kind of get to the point where an article is done. And I can't do that at a pace that has new shows topping charts every four months. You know, it's just not a sustainable cycle. So I tend to try and ignore what's (laughs) trending. And if I happen to be watching it, then I might write a review. But that's not my area of concern Mm. when I'm first starting. To, to watch and think about writing about something so mm. you were um uh, previously on your blog you had a uh, don't know if i'd call it a series but a uh, uh a plan of uh, kind of like a reading plan uh, your year of anime mm. um and where you would uh watch an episode uh, 
Do you want to explain what your year of anime was? Yeah. Um, or year, is? It's yeah. coming back. <laughs> yeah, year of anime is not dead. <laughs> pay, pay no attention to the, the strange times and dates on my blog. But <laughs> um, yeah, year of anime is a project that I developed in 2014, 2014, I think, or 15, um, as a way to get me to watch more anime because I was very methodical about how I went about this stuff and I didn't want to just like watch everything at random i wanted to have a structure and i don't know why i thought that but it, i'm grateful for it now because it helps me like have a fallback for like oh i should be watching this okay yeah i'll go and watch that and basically it's every month i watch a new show and i try to time the shows with what my workload will look like that month maybe what the season is so if there's something that's a little bit more um you know colorful then i might set it in a summer or spring month if there's something that's a bit more cozy feeling, I might put it in the winter. You know, that this sort of... I, I feel it's important to kind of have a good experience with the shows, and so I try to do that for myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, it's a way... It kind of serves a few purposes. Year of Anime helps me to learn more about anime and its history. It helps me to have consistent output on my blog, because every time I watch a show, I review it. Mm-hmm. oh yeah and also it, it helps me to discover new shows yeah um especially like year of anime shows it'll tend to be like oh i heard that this thing was good this year and then i take that and I put it on my list and then a few years later i return to it mm. and so th- that cycle kind of gets backed up for me quite a bit i've got like a few pages of shows <laughs> that <laughs> i still need to watch that have been going on my list ever since i started it um but yeah, Year of Anime has just been a really good exercise to help me learn more about, especially genres that I wouldn't necessarily watch. Mm. I try not to favor particular genres, but there are some that are definitely more comfortable for me to watch than others. And so having Year of Anime helps me to learn about genres that I would usually be a bit hesitant to engage with. Mm. So, If we were talking in terms of like academia, uh, if, if or if we were to turn this into an academic exercise, you could call this the research phase, I guess, um, of sorts, because you do your research on shows, you're looking for things to watch, you're looking for things to put on the list, or as you said, you hear them, put them on the list, and then you go and you watch them, and that's kind of the research stage, is is, is taking on the content and or letting it sit for a while in your brain, and as you watch them, you come up with ideas, you take notes. Um, so that you can review it appropriately. What is the process like for you once you've got those notes down? Like, how do you write a review once you get there? Oh, a lot of it is just kind of like I, I tend to get into a groove when I write. And yeah. um, sometimes I find myself kind of going off and using words that I don't mean and <laughs> getting like really impassioned about something that doesn't really matter. And so often when I'm writing, I have to like, step outside of myself for a second and go is this what i want to be hearing when i'm reading it Mm. and sometimes when i'm writing uh, i'll be like i want to say this and i'll just say the sentence out loud and then i'll just write that down (laughs) (laughs) because sometimes i get stuck in my head uh when i'm writing a review and so if i want to say if i want to say i thought the effects were weird then i should just say that (laughs) and then explain myself a little bit you know um it, it yeah i i try to like the language i use can sometimes be a bit flowery but i try to be as like real as possible with like how i express myself and that helps with the review process because it is like recounting my opinion of a show the it, it's so weird because a lot of the time when i write it's like just a blur of things and then the, and then it's done <laughs> 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 and i'm like oh yeah i guess that worked somehow um <laughs> yep. so and I, I am trying to work on that be more present when i'm writing and really like f- feel into how i create because and th- this is also a result of like academic writing is just like you just have to get words out yeah and it doesn't matter how many words because you need to fill a few pages so just do it and, <laughs> and then it's done so the review process has been fun for that because I try to make them shorter. And so it helps me to really think about how many words I want to say something in. Mm. The reviews that I do are, they're they're typically opinion, but um, a, a lot of them recently, especially with this Luca review, have started to go into technique and talking about animation. 
one thing that applies to both the review and the analysis forms that I have on my blog are the relationship of animation style to the theme or the way that style and content coexist in a work are really important and that is like my bread and butter Mm. (laughs) every time I look at something animated I'm reminded of the fact that it was created for a purpose Mm. and that purpose informs how the story is being told and there's that like narrative thread to it that I really like to bring out in my reviews um and and in my analyses by extension and that's why it's a review assist a lot of the time is because they're two ideas that are so closely associated that they like share space a lot Mm. of the time so yeah Mm. so what supplements your writing like like you don't just exist in this writing space um what's what what is surrounding it you know if we were to imagine this as like that game um that people were playing several years ago agario or whatever it was oh. where they're little <laughs> balls you and you know you've got to you've got to ta- absorb the other cells and there's the big cell is writing what are the little cells around there that uh, writing can often eat time of well, not much right now because I'm currently job searching. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, up until this point, it was school. Mm-hmm. It was classes and it was um, meeting with profs and attending reading groups. And I guess the other thing that kind of like takes up time is like time in my life. Or are we talking about interests here or are yeah. we talking about just in, in, stuff stuff I like to do? Yeah. Um, well, there are quite a few things. Um, I really love cooking uh, and baking. <laughs> that's one of them. Yeah, that's that, that counts. That works. Um, cosplay is another big one. Right, um, and that that's actually kind of fun uh, because as I'm watching a show and I'm thinking of reviewing it, I'll also be thinking, "Oh, that character has a cool design, and I really want to cosplay that character." And so, oftentimes, I will end up like on ebay looking at cosplay (laughs) (laughs) and accessories and stuff and and learning about like the components of the costume and how they all work um you're thinking about like how you can design it and build it while you're watching oftentimes yes and it's it's uh even better when that character appears on screen often (laughs) yes um but yeah other than that i i play piano Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've got a bit of a musical background and that also anime has kind of influenced because I get a lot of sheet music from online and and print it off and play my favorite anime openings, um, for like a bit of stress relief. I love drawing and like anime has kind of like consumed (laughs) a lot of my life (laughs) and especially like it's an interesting time to be having this interview too, because I'm coming off of being professionally in a a scholarly role as like an animation student yeah right like someone who whose entire life and career and opinions kind of like revolve around engaging with anime and so a lot of the things that i do in my daily life have started to revolve around that too whether it be you know what food i want to try eating or how i dress or how like how i interact with people you know i'll be like oh what anime do you like if they mention that they like anime so it it is a huge part of my life and i don't think that it's like it's hard to kind of like (laughs) think outside of it at the moment just because it's been so crucial to me um finishing my thesis and um, making the connections that i have through blogging and through being in academics yeah um and it seems like it's big for your personal development as well, just as a person. Yeah. Like- I mean, yeah, it, that's that's interesting too because anime was something that I found out about in like grade 11. So I've kind of really like grown with it through my teens all the way up. Yeah. And uh, it's it's become... What, what, what's that one Gilmore Girls thing? It's not a show, it's a lifestyle. Yes. That's kind of what it is for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also, you know, like I'm I'm currently doing freelance writing for a, a website that posts videos on YouTube about anime and comics and stuff. So, right. I, like I it's kind of part of the contract essentially that I have to yeah, know about this stuff in order to work. Yeah. So. The uh, the cosplay thing you you uh, you mentioned really highlights that, I think. 
um, your love for the um, for the medium has has put you in this position or incline has given you this inclination to create as a result of it, which also relates to your your thesis topic of of creating things. Uh, about the anime fan experience mm-hmm. specifically in North American contexts but yeah it's it's really cool to to see that and I think that I think that the the fan activation and I, I know you, that word is but you've used that word before uh, fan activation a uh, fandom activation in a sense is is the you know this is the result of that is is that fandom being engaged uh, um, and and um, acted upon which is really cool yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that that too because one of the posts that I did recently was a blogified version of my thesis. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I wanted anime fans to kind of like understand where I was coming from and where that, that joy in ag- engaging with something this deeply that for this long, mm. right, um, where that comes from. Because like... It, it, it's honestly kind of reassuring to me that I still feel very passionately about talking about anime and, and writing about it because, like, it's something that could be considered a fad, mm. you know. But um, it's just really reassuring and, and exciting to know that I can keep learning from and being creative through it. Yeah, it just keeps going. It just keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> speaking of uh speaking of recent posts what's uh what's some of your favorite posts that you've written for your blog there are a few <laughs> um yeah so i guess the first big one is like the one that's gotten the most traffic on my blog which is uh, a post called the barbie cinematic universe where i kind of talk about barbie as a personality that has been developed through different strategies and marketing through Mattel, um, how she went from like just being like featured as an actress in Barbie movies to kind of being more of like a vlog personality and someone who has a consistent like narrative across a bunch of different media endeavors like movies and TV shows and videos on the Barbie YouTube channel. So mm-hmm. that one has gotten a ton of traffic and I think it's just because I used the keywords Barbie Cinematic Universe and I did not mean to make it that way but that's what we're working with. <laughs> I mean like it makes sense to me. It I does. get it. It does make sense. Um, it's just not yeah. the same as Marvel Cinematic Universe. Unfortunately no. <laughs> yeah. Um, the uh, the and one that I'm personally really proud of that doesn't get a lot of traffic necessarily is uh, a, a post about The Secret of Kells which is uh animated movie by cartoon saloon and uh i called it illuminating animation and i kind of talk about the comparisons with like a scriptor like someone who is responsible for drawing illuminated texts um in like medieval churches um versus an animator who is bringing drawings to life Mm. by like using a pen you know so um i kind of drew comparisons between those two worlds and how the secret of Kells is an animated movie about medieval irish text mm. kind of like embodied both things so that one i'm i'm it's one of my favorites mm-hmm. it, it's not very popular but it's one of my favorites um, <laughs> <laughs> and i think the one last one would probably be um an article i wrote about hyoka which is my all-time favorite show uh anime and it's uh, on the Valentine's Day episode of that show. And I'm, I'm proud of that one because I wrote it in a day. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I realized I wanted to have something out for Valentine's Day. And it was February 13th when I realized this. And so I spent all day just writing. How did that work then with your like months of, of thinking about it, months of research? How did that get condensed into a day? <laughs> Unfortunately, not in a good way. I basically neglected meals. <laughs> <laughs> I was in school and I didn't have any classes that day. So right. it, it didn't like mean anything for my productivity. It was fine. <laughs> I just went to class the next day like a normal person. But like, yeah, that was that was fun <laughs> because it, it, it proved to me that, A, I could do it. And second of all, I think I did it in a way that I'm really pleased with. Like right. I was really happy with the way I structured that post. So, right. yeah. And Hyoka is one of my favorite shows. So it, And I wanted to do right by it and 
I wanted to have this analysis of that Valentine's Day episode in particular up there because a lot of the, I mean, yeah, a lot of the essay posts that I make are, I'm not seeing people talk about this. And so I'm going to talk about it <laughs> and I'm going to take that into my own hands. And I'm going to do something with it. Gaps in the market. Basically. Yeah. I mean, and that's another academic thing, right? You're always looking for gaps in knowledge so that you can apply for grants and be given them, you know, because you people go. recognize that there's something that still needs to be done mm. in the field. When you find these gaps, uh, like you're not necessarily applying for any grants at the moment. No. <laughs> um, but uh, but when you find these gaps, is is it, what is the driving force for researching them? Is it the fact that there is a gap and you want to fill it, or is it because it's a topic you're passionate about? I guess you're allowed to say both. I mean, it is both, but it's like <laughs> it's it's a little more than that too. I was actually thinking about this, like with your list of questions, and I I think that um, <laughs> honestly, a lot of the reason for why my articles end up being there in the first place is just because I get like so like overcome with the need to see it in my life that i just have to make it and it's like right. a like a searing need <laughs> so it's like it's like seeing a puzzle and you see all the tops of the pieces you you can kind of get an idea of the art form that it's or the or the, the the final image and you're just like i have to put this together i have to <laughs> assemble this now usually it it starts out with a few you know quick google searches and trying to see in places I know where to look for them anyway, like, okay, what has been said about this topic? And yeah. if it hasn't been said the way that I'm thinking it's being said, then I want to try writing that thing. Like, there was one post that I did last year about Taylor Swift's Reputation Stadium Tour, yes. which is on Netflix, and I watched it, and because it was filmed, there was a lot that I had to say about how it was filmed, and I didn't realize that it would be that big of a deal, but then when I was looking up, you know, Taylor Swift reputation tour analysis, it only came up with analyzing song lyrics and not the experience of a live show. Mm. And so I decided, okay, that's my topic. I'm going to write about the fact that a live show was filmed and how she represented the rep the reputation narrative, like right. in a stadium context, specifically only because I saw that it was filmed and I could use my understanding of film language to access it yeah so <laughs> yeah it's like yeah it, it is that like searing impassioned need mm -hmm. that drives a lot of my creative stuff like especially if i'm drawing or something i these days i don't really draw a lot but when i do it's because i i'm watching a show and i see a character i really like and go i have to make fan art of that right now and it usually happens like late at night like 11 p.m or something and i'm just like hunched over drawing <laughs> yeah yeah i've had that with a uh, uh, writing a short film or a scene that i've imagined based on something i've experienced recently or a video game or a movie that i watched uh, that, that's normally what drives me to that and uh, then something will come out of that at some point because i have to make it not plagiarized so. <laughs> i mean a lot of the articles like the way that they are formed in the first place comes from me kind of like finding this nugget, this tiny little thing um, of information or like a, a tiny thing that I noticed about like usually the editing or the film style of a thing and that'll stand out to me and then I'll kind of like base an entire thing around it. Like for like one example that I can think of is uh, one of my first like big posts on the blog was Yuri on Ice part one there were three there were yep. three articles that i wrote on yuri on ice and they were all in succession and uh the first one was called love is narrative and that whole trilogy of posts kind of came up because of the way that victor and yuri's rings glistened the way that they were animated to be so glittery and and very present mm. it it hinted to me anyway that there was more going on than just the fact that they were wearing rings and that it symbolized like a union of some kind but it was it was more along the lines of like the animation itself is telling us that this is an important thing for the show mm. the animation is using its style to highlight this facet of yuri on ice for us yeah. and so that tiny little detail that i noticed kind of became three essays <laughs> Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, like th that's kind of where it comes from most of the time is just this like bubbling up yeah. from one tiny little detail.
how do you learn these how do you learn to identify these things you know how do you learn to analyze that is a very good question um i mean i've always kind of been like observant so it it depends but like um one of the things that really i mean this kind of comes along with my interest in film in general um i remember when i was in grade 12 i think we were watching the untouchables which is a kind of gangster movie new york gangster movie and uh i remember there was a I don't remember what scene specifically, but there was a point in the movie where I realized, oh, someone had to set up that shot and that camera is there in a physical space with people who are acting and, you know, they had to know what was going into it before they turned the camera on. And that kind of like caught my attention. That made that kind of like shattered my world in a way. I was like, oh my goodness, people like put a lot of detail mm. and and thought into this type of production. Yeah, the intentionality became apparent. Yes, and that's kind of where my love of analysis comes from is well everything in film is constructed to a certain degree. Yeah. And as soon as you know that, it becomes really really fun mm. to start looking at a scene and and what it all means and and uh, something that goes along with that is like in first year like film studies classes they teach you about mise-en-scene which is a term that is used for everything you can see within the frame so that that covers actors lighting props uh backgrounds um like everything everything visible (laughs) in a frame is called mise-en-scene and um that's something that they would test you on in like midterms and stuff they'd give you a screenshot and say what's going on here write about it and then they'd give you like an hour. Um, <laughs> and so like that kind of training has taught me how to read uh, scenes, specifically filmed scenes. And it becomes so much easier to do that once there's that f- four-sided border around something. It's harder to do that in real life mm-hmm. because you're also in that experience. But when you're looking at something filmed, it's further away from you. And it's easier to kind of see where the limits of that start and end Mm. so that's kind of where analysis got started for me personally and that's something that i continue to bring with me as i'm doing like complex analysis like noticing rings one time and then going off about it (laughs) yeah Uh, i was uh i was actually noting that when i was going through your blog again to get a refresher i was noting your ability to find these almost documentarian style stories about the meaning behind certain things in the the media you watch and the anime that you review and not just the anime but like you 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 know you did that post on the barbie cinematic universe that was something that you observed and realized was being intentionally put in um and sometimes it's not intentional but most of the time it is it seems to be like north american anime fan oriented works that you wrote about in your thesis that was in those were mostly intentional choices maybe neo yokio had a few things in it that didn't that were just kind of like you know happened by osmosis just naturally came about because they were so under under the table but um i don't think neo yokio fully understood what it was doing either but you know (laughs) (laughs) um and so two of the other posts that um that you did mention at least to me were something to do with uh corporate aesthetic and mm. another one was your uh, post about the musical company Star Kid and their the selling of the toys that they had in there or something like that. The Black mm. Friday, the yeah. Black Friday post. Yeah, the Black Friday. Yeah. Um, well, first, yeah, to address the first one, um, the the post is going to be called, I think, Corporate Lo-Fi. Okay. Uh, it's not out yet, um, but I'm basically going to talk about the adoption of lo-fi aesthetics and asmr and like chill radio and that sort of thing in marketing and especially in how uh, companies are acquiring properties and then putting those vibes in a way out uh, into something marketable so i wrote about this actually in a post very similar uh, a few years ago about over the garden wall i think Um, that was uh, where i got the idea from i remember you talking about it and i was reading that post uh, okay a couple of days ago yeah over the garden wall i it's the post is called that fall aesthetic yes that was it yeah and it was basically talking about how over the garden wall uses aesthetics associated with fall 
to kind of build its universe and then how Cartoon Network took that universe aesthetic and turned it into a, a lo-fi looped beat video, mm. a, a series of videos using the soundtrack of Over the Garden Wall, cutting the dialogue and just playing soothing visuals from the show um, over and over and kind of creating an audio commodity out of something that had a narrative to it, mm. you know? Um, so that that was... Again, that was like, I I feel like all of these analysis points are just like eureka moment after eureka moment. Like, I don't necessarily think about it happening, um, but it strikes me. And so I decide mm. if it's still nagging at me, then I decide to write about it. Yeah. Um, it's all observation. Yeah. So with, with Starkid, that was me noticing how much more involved the filming was in it. Yes, and, that's right. uh, and how, like there were a lot of cameras on that stage and just knowing that they had to set up shots to capture specific events and dance numbers in the musical um, made me interested in like, what is this live experience turning into if it's more and more a filmed thing? Um, and then on top of that as well, just the way that music works in that world is very interesting because Black Friday kind of takes a cue from its predecessor which is the guy who didn't like musicals and they're connected in the same universe in a way but not quite and that's kind of what i argue with the way that they use music so there there were a bunch of ideas going into that post but it, it all came from that nagging feeling of this doesn't feel quite like it should and i don't know why and so i mm. used that post put that post to explore it a little more mm. yeah yeah and again uh the reason why i mentioned those is uh the the you know, just the, the taking the time to observe and think and ponder, you know, why you're feeling a certain way based on something you've just, a bit from something you've just seen. Um, that's what seems to drive you to really write. Yeah, I feel like in a weird way, my analytical posts are emotional workouts. Like it's a way for me to process what I'm thinking and it gives structure to that in a way that can make it, feel almost like a like a kind of like argument in a paper so uh where do you go from here with uh with your writing what's what's next well in terms of um <laughs> i just want a job honestly but um, <laughs> um you know I'm, I'm working freelance uh as i mentioned earlier um so that's part of like building up a more credible like paid position kind of portfolio mm. in terms of blog writing i just kind of want to continue using it for a, a as a creative space um because i do kind of feel strongly about monetizing it i don't want to do that if i can help it i want to keep it my space to kind of do what i want creatively because i see what happens to to people when they monetize things and it scares me and I don't necessarily want to <laughs> um, have to put in a ton of content just for the sake of making a living that I don't feel is valuable. Yeah, The blog itself for the time being is going to be its own thing and it's going to be where I go to just enjoy analyzing media because that is a, a huge joy in mm. my life is doing that. But in terms of professional work, getting a portfolio going with freelance writing is something that I've already been working on. And um, eventually in the future, I would love to try and get into the publishing industry is something. And I think that stems from my uh, love of analyzing media is this um, desire to connect people with ideas and the whole distribution process involved in that is something mm. that I researched quite heavily when I was talking about anime fan oriented work because I looked into streaming a whole lot and licensing and um, that kind of inspired me to want to go into the publishing slash distribution industry. So right. if that's possible, I would love to do that. But it does take a bit of prep to get there first. So that's a long-term goal. Mm. <laughs> yeah, You're speaking to someone who's fresh out of school. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's quite hard to really have full-fledged views at the moment. No, totally understood. <laughs> Okay, in, in that case then, what uh, what should people look out for from you on your blog specifically? What's mm, coming? What's coming? Well, a few things have been mentioned in the what's coming uh, in this episode so far, I think. So uh, one of them is Corporate Lo-Fi. Another one is uh, a Love Letter to a Bridged series, which I'm working on. 
and another one is ooh okay so there's this whole thing that i'm working on right now about seasonal uh seasonal aesthetic uh and so a few posts are going to go into that so like i haven't secured a whole bunch of stuff yet because it, it just it requires a lot of watching and learning but rilakuma is going to be one uh chihayafuru is going to be one konohana kitan is going to be one there's a whole lot of like shows that kind of embody a seasonal aesthetic that i'm interested in diving into and how they represent seasons and why it's represented seasonally so yeah that's a huge part of it but all these posts were supposed to be out last year but uh i went through a whole bunch writing the thesis and experiencing severe burnout from it Mm. so it's like i'm just coming back like i've only written like two posts over the past like (laughs) like six months or something just because it's been a lot to handle so i'm grateful that the drive to write is coming back but it did take a bit of time to feel like i could actually like i was i was logging into my blog every day but i wasn't doing anything on it i was just like looking at stats and going okay that's good and then just continuing on with my day because like when you analyze media that intensely for like two years it's hard to get back into doing it again for new stuff all the time so (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i'm really glad that i've had the opportunity to like rest and that I could rest, like, without worrying about anything. But, yeah, now I, I'm, I'm really feeling that I need to be back online mm. and and making more. And as a result, everything's just been pushed back a year, which is fine because I also haven't necessarily been watching too much else anyway. So not a whole lot of new ideas have come, come up. Th- those posts are something that I'm really looking forward to to writing about like their ideas that i'm still very passionate about Mm. even like a year after having come up with them so yeah that's a good sign (laughs) yeah and eventually like i'll also try to do long form like long long form essays compared to the usual stuff and one of the ones that i hope to write soon is uh, a essay about rakugo the full name is showa genroku rakugo shinju and it's about like stage performers and you, I mean, you've watched it, yeah. but yeah, um, the way that they talk about narrative is really interesting in that show because the characters are storytellers. Yeah. And so it's a very meta type of show. If you look at how it does storytelling, it's very meta. And so I want to write a huge post about that because that is really exciting for a, me to think a about. A lot of ideas. A lot of ideas. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So lots coming, but it... Um, <laughs> That's exciting. It'll take a while to get there just because... Writing takes time. <laughs> so you can list three anime that you would recommend or three shows oh. in general oh, that you would recommend for people to go and watch. Oh, that's really hard because all of my favorite shows are like <laughs> hard to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, one that I recommend to people all the time is Full Metal Alchemist specifically. Mm-hmm. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood because it was remade when the manga finished and that's what Brotherhood is. So I would highly recommend if you haven't seen Brotherhood, go and watch that show. It is amazing. Mm. It does everything so right. It just, the way that the characters all work together and all the themes work so well and the music is amazing, the animation is amazing, the morals are amazing. Yeah, Mm. it's a great show. I really like that one. So that's that's number one. Um, Number two is Hyoka. Mm-hmm. And this is weird because usually I don't recommend Slice of Life to people who don't know anime. Um, but if you do know anime, then great. You can just go ahead and watch Hyoka. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Hyoka is about um, four high school students who are in a club at their school and they just solve daily mysteries. And it's it's a character study more than anything, which I really love. It, it takes like very subtle, nuanced um looks at daily life uh in a way that helps you to study the characters a lot more than uh, your average slice of life um and it is like my all-time favorite anime uh i every time i watch it i find something new to enjoy Mm. about it and i want to write way more posts about it than i have currently so Mm. yeah um that's definitely one and then i guess the third 
Uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, okay? I want to say Evangelion. <laughs> Uh-oh. But Evangelion is not necessarily a beginner-friendly anime, so but it, it inspired so much, and it's one that academics keep coming back to, so I hear about it a lot when I do research. It shows that like really hit me recently as far as that goes. Okay. Here's the thing. Yeah. It's like a tie between Rakugo and March Comes In Like a Lion. Those are two shows that are amazing. And they're also character dramas and studies, rather. Rakugo Shinju is a historical drama with a character study mixed in. And March Comes in Like a Lion is straight character study. Um, But they are so gorgeous. Like, Rakugo has such... It's so emotional, it made me sob both times that I watched it all the way through, which is saying something because I don't tend to do that a lot. Yeah. And then March Comes In Like a Lion is, it's just so, it makes you really feel for the characters. It's very um, emotionally driven Mm. and it's got amazing animation. It's one of the most experimental animated shows I've ever seen. I'm trying to think if if I want that to be my third because there are so many, but <laughs> okay, if I had to go for it, I think it would be Evangelion would be my third, okay. but which is which is super annoying because it's like it it's technically a deconstruction of Mecca, and so you'd have to have watched Mecca to understand what it's deconstructing. But it's such a good show in its own right that it doesn't really matter. I watched it without having watched Mecca. So, like, you know, it's fine. And it it impacted me so much. Like, I watched it in 2014 and I still think about it all the time. Yeah. And it's available on Netflix now. So people can actually watch it, which is great because it was inaccessible in any, like, good quality for a while. So Yeah, that's right. I remember you telling me. To finish up, what is one thing that you would encourage people to write about? I think that it's important to engage deeply with things that you observe in the world around you. So writing about, like, I think even writing about movies deeply, like, even though it's not necessarily a new idea, right? Mm. People have been doing movie reviews for a while. But because entertainment is such a huge part of our lives these days, um, and it's very much viewed as commodity like we talk about media consumption a lot right yeah. like it's a it's something we subsist on i think that it's important for you to think about how you engage with the media you engage with and then write about that it, it's a great way to learn about your own process of how you consume media all just the same as it is to watch it um, with other people so yeah i just think that it's important for you to understand how you consume media because that in turn affects how you view the world right because media is mediated right there's a way in which we are seeing that is selected for us through a movie and so understanding that process is really important i think for being able to engage deeply with the world around you cool thank you again victoria for talking to us today thank you for sharing Thank you. And we'll talk to you all later. Bye.